Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be amongst us now, would be in us now, Lord, that we would see your Son as the second Adam, as the greater Adam, as the one in whom we can put our trust and our hope and our assurance of our salvation. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. PSA, to get us started, this is the first Sunday in Lent, just so we are all on the same page. Unofficial rules of Lent mean that there is absolutely no joy to be had in worship today <laughs> for this season, right? No hallelujahs. If you're going to sing, that's great, but just keep the volume down. <laughs> right? We're in Lent, and the, and the point of Lent is to prepare our hearts for the season that is to come next, for Easter, right? That's what we do, and we, during this time, these 40 days, we remember Jesus' temptation um, in the desert, right? And, and, and we take just a piece of that, of that temptation and suffering on ourselves during this season. And the, and the idea is, as you compare and contrast Lent with the season that is to come, with Easter, that what we do in Lent makes the joy of Easter that much sweeter, that much greater the splendor and the wonder and the majesty of what easter means that jesus would come for us it's that much greater when it's contrasted against a season like lent that comes right before it a season where we focus on our own brokenness and on the sin that has uh, rampaged this world it's about the comparison and the contrasting of the two seasons back to back well in our reading today we're going to be looking at romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 21, and we see Paul doing a similar thing. But he's not contrasting and comparing the seasons. He's comparing and contrasting two people. He's comparing Adam with Jesus. And he does the same thing. And, and my guess is you probably haven't thought about it, um, not because you shouldn't have, but probably because it's not worth thinking about. But just for a moment, humor me. Comparison, right? Comparison is when we find things that uh, we have in common, things that match up, things that line up, right? But contrasting, when we contrast two things, that's when we really see the differences between them. That's when we see sort of a, a third dimension open up, where we see just how good one is and bad one is, how different, in fact, two things are. And we see Paul doing that to Adam and to Jesus, comparing them, seeing what they have in common, and contrasting them, seeing just how different they are. So we're going to walk with Paul in Romans chapter 5, but the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is why? Why these two people? Why would Paul put these two people up against each other? And the truth is, the reason that this particular comparison matters to us is because even though we know that the assurance of, of our future glory is based only on the work of Jesus Christ, even though we know that, we still have this tendency, don't we? We have this tendency to want to give that assurance away to someone else or anyone else who will take it. It looks a little something like this. Lord, I know that you're good and I, and I trust in Jesus and what he did. But sometimes I don't understand all of it, so I'll, I'll make a deal with you. Here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll be as good as I can. 
I'll do everything I can for you. I'll work as hard as I can for good. And when I get to the gates right outside of heaven, then we'll take a look and we'll see. And between you and me, Lord, I think we can work something out where I can get it. <laughs> right? That's sort of the deal that we make. Because our tendency is to hand over the assurance that has been freely given and hard won for us to somebody else. And so we're going to walk with Paul through this comparison and contrasting of Adam and Jesus. So if you want to look along with me, the reading's in your bulletin and it's in the Bibles in front of you as well. We're in chapter 5 of Romans and we're looking at verses 12 through 21. And Paul begins first with a comparison. Verse 12 reads, that Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, and then notice the dash. Y'all see the dash? He breaks off his thought. He has this comparison that he started. He says, just as, but then there is no so then. And so to see the completion of his thought, this comparison that he makes, um, we have to go past the interruption that he, he has in his own line of thinking. And we have to look at verses 18 and 19 to see the thought, the comparison um, in its wholeness. So we look at verses 18 and 19. And notice how it begins. It's the same idea as verse 12. Verse 18 reads, Therefore, just as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, right? it's the same thought, and now he completes it. So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Paul is comparing the acts of these two men, the acts of Adam and the acts of Jesus. Read it this way. Just as one trespass, one act of unrighteousness, led to condemnation and death for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Paul is showing us the acts of these two men, the decisions that they made. He's showing us how Adam was in the garden with the Father in perfect relationship with God. God walked amongst them, he and Eve. And in the garden, Adam chooses disobedience. And Jesus comes to this barren and desolate wilderness that we call this world that we live in. And in this desolate place. He chooses obedience. Paul is showing us that, that Jesus is the second Adam. He's showing us how everything that Adam did to wreak havoc on this world when he chose disobedience, when he chose sin, is now being undone by what Jesus is choosing and what Jesus is doing. Jesus is the second Adam. Verse 19, it's not the act that is being compared, but it's the result of that act. Read along with me. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Just as all are made sinners, that's the result. Just as all are made sinners by one man's disobedience, so all will be made righteous by one man's obedience. Why does it matter to us that, that Jesus is the, the second Adam? Why does it matter to us that, 
this comparison that Paul is making? Well, the truth is, if, if we're willing to admit it at least, that, that we actually have more in common with the first Adam than with the second. Right? Instead of looking at this life that we get to lead each day a blessing new, the fact that beauty is something that we can actually see and feel and experience is in and of itself a blessing from God, but instead of focusing on these things, we look at the one thing, the one thing that we feel that God is holding out on us, that we, we deserve, or even if we don't deserve, it would be nice to have. Lord, if I just had just a little more time in the day, well, I could get done the things that I have to do, and Lord, I would have time to do those things that I know are good and that I'm supposed to do. I just need a little more time. Lord, if I just had just a little bit more money, if I just had a little more, well, then I would know, you know, that the daily grind would be taken care of, and I would, I would be free to, to focus on the relationships that really matter to me and that I know matter to you. Lord, just a little bit more. Lord, if I, if I just had someone to love me and, and to share this life with, Lord, then, then I would be happy. You see, we, we hand over the assurance of our future glory because we believe like the first Adam in the serpent's lie. We believe that God is stingy. Genesis 3, as we read, chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent says, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the implication is clear. He's holding out on you. Would he actually withhold the fruit of one of the trees? And here's the thing. When God is stingy and when we believe that lie, well, then we begin to question his character and his motives. Lord, don't you love me? How could you let dementia take away my mom's right to a, a happy old age? Lord, are, are, you, are you lying to me? Because you say don't pursue worldly things, but I've got to tell you, I'm pretty comfortable, and my, my life is pretty good, and my family is well-fed and happy, and this feels pretty good. Lord, you said if I ate the fruit that I would surely die, but I'm not sure that that's true. I, I think that might be the only way that I can really live. I think that that's how I actually get to be like you, able to make decisions for myself, that I get to be the one in charge. See, what Paul is doing here, when he holds up Christ as the second Adam, what he's doing is he's showing that the problem doesn't actually lie with God, but the problem lies with us. The problem is in the lie that we're willing to believe about who God is. The problem is that we don't see that God is willing to give up something very precious, very dear to him, that he's willing to give up his only son, in fact, that we would know him. He shows that Jesus reverses the act and the result of Adam's disobedience in the garden. All that Adam did to destroy the relationship between God and man, Jesus undoes. So in comparing these two, we see that Jesus is the second Adam. But what happens when we contrast them? What are the differences that come to light? Well, we'll look at verse 15 with me. Paul writes in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Notice that the, the contrast has begun. The free gift is not like the trespass. And 
then he continues through verse 17. And we see again Paul breaking things down by acts and results. Verse 15, if many died through one man's trespass, one man's act of disobedience, how much more live through Jesus' act of obedience? He's showing us that, that these two things are in no way equal to each other. That one is much, much, much more powerful than the other. The power of Adam's disobedience is no match for the power of Jesus' obedience. One act brought about death. One act overcomes death. One act brings life to those who are already dead. The power of these two are in no way the same. The results are then um, in Paul's focus in verses 16 and 17. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. What is he saying? He's saying that, that, that Adam's one act in the garden was enough to bring about condemnation. It was enough to kick him out, to sever the relationship between God and man. And what has happened since that one act? Thousands and thousands and thousands more acts of disobedience. Right? The gap between us and God has only grown more and more and more as we turned our back and walk away in our sin. As we follow our father Adam and his disobedience. And yet it takes one act of grace, one act of grace on the cross, not just to achieve forgiveness, right, but to cover that distance that has been increasing for generations, to come after us and to come and save us. What Paul is saying is that one man's disobedience casts us out of the garden, but a million acts of disobedience could never prevent God from coming after us. It would never prevent God from coming to save us, from sending his son. How much greater then is that man, Jesus, that second Adam, that greater Adam than the first? Now, why does this matter? Why does this matter to you and to me? Well, we've got to deal with that serpent again, don't we? That serpent, he would love nothing more than for you to believe that there is this cosmic battle between good and evil locked in this epic wrestling match for all of time and that we get to choose where we come into this battle we get to choose to be on the side of good or the side of evil he would love the serpent would love for us to think that we are are, are capable of making that decision right so so what do we do well we obey the law but except when it's inconsequential right We pay our taxes, but we, not a penny more. <laughs> we say, Lord, I'm, I'm on your side. I'm doing good things for you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to give my money and my goods to the less fortunate. Of course, I'll make sure that's only the ones who deserve it. And when we get to the gates of heaven, we look back at our track record and we say, Lord, do you see this? You see all the good that I did? I know there was some bad in there too, but, but the good outweighs the bad. But in Christ, what we see is the truth. We see that the assurance of our future glory doesn't rest on what we do and on our achievements, on, on, on the laundry list of things that we've accomplished. We see that, 
that this isn't a, an equal match of good and evil, but that good has way more power than evil, that good has, in fact, already won the battle. We do have a choice to make now that was different than the choice to make before Jesus came. Before Jesus, it was a choice between bad or worse. But then Jesus came, and he came and brought good into our lives. And so we see that when Christ comes to the cross, the overwhelming power of his grace, the weight of his glory crushes evil, and it drives it out if only we would stop trying to earn the very thing he's given us for free. Friends, our, our, our assurance of hope is in Christ alone. He doesn't need us to add anything to what he's done on our behalf. He wants us simply to stop trying to earn it and to rest and trust in him and on what he has done for us on the cross. That is the assurance of our future glory that we can rely on. Amen.